Amen. Thank you so much, Cherish and the worship team. You guys were amazing. It reminds me, uh, when I was a little kid, my, uh, my, my grandparents took me to a, a church that only sang a cappella songs. And it was kind of hard for me to, to get my attention. But when I was in fifth grade, they, uh, they, we went to a church that had live music. And they had a band. And there was so much life. And it just amazed me. People were excited to be there. There was clapping and there was hands raising and it made it made the whole uh idea of worship become more real to me and uh so i hope that you guys enjoy it i, I loved participating as as a kid and uh, as you can see our kids are going if you ha haven't let your kid go yet it's a good time to let them go um the first through sixth graders are going with susan um if there's any any others it looks like they're they're almost done here so <sighs> welcome to church well, I don't have to, you don't have to release them anymore, Susan. <laughs> they know, they're going. Released or not, they're gone. Um, it's excellent. I love that feeling, though. I love that feeling when you feel like you're with people who love the Lord, and there's this, there's this life that comes a part of a church, and uh, it's one of the things we miss the most during quarantine. You know, about a year ago is when the quarantine started. It was last spring break that most schools let out for spring break and then didn't come back. Uh, at least not in person after that. And uh, so my, my family and I were talking this week about how this last year has been such an adjustment uh, from previous years and what a, what a year it's been. Well, today our sermon is in Acts chapter 27. We are racing uh, at warp speed to the end of the end of the book. The last several weeks, we've talked a lot about the different uh, trials and 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 different people that that Paul was able to share the gospel with after his arrest in Jerusalem and before he leaves. It's a two-year segment of time that he's in Caesarea, but now the book just is going to 27, 28, and man, it's over and it ends abruptly. And so here we are uh, spending this 27 chapter. It's part of his journey from what happens in Caesarea all the way to Rome. And uh, so this morning, we're going to talk about that journey. But I, before we get there, I want to just preface it by saying this is going to have a rough, uh, a rough sermon. Ah, a rough sermon. It's a rough subject because you don't really find a lot of hope in this story. This story is a, a, a story that happens at warp speed with breakneck kind of potential. And uh, it seems from the beginning that it's doomed and it's headed to disaster and they know it's coming. And sometimes that's just the way life is. And so before we get into that, I want to just remind you that this kind of... Um, event happens throughout scripture. And I want to remind you of a couple of places uh, where it might be something similar. So you might remember the Old Testament when the, the Israelites were leaving Egypt. They were running at one point from the Egyptian army that's pursuing them. And they come up against the Red Sea. You remember this story? And when they're up against the Red Sea, they've got the Egyptian army behind them and there's nowhere else to go. And that's the kind of moment that we're going to find Paul in today, where he doesn't have anywhere else to go. And uh, there's this moment in that, in that space where very few people have reason to hope. Very few people have any idea that God's about to do something spectacular. And so I wonder if you were there with those Israelites that day on that beach, wondering if God had abandoned them, how it would work out for you. And so this is what's going to happen. Uh, another story like that, you might think of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember they're called in front of the king because they won't bow their knee and worship him. And so in front of the king, with all the, the, the nation watching them, they say something really close to this where he said, even our God is able to deliver us from you, king, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow our knee to you. And the king is furious. And he says, 
heat the, heat the oven hotter than it's ever been. And it's so hot that the people throwing wood into that perish. They die because it's so hot. And then he throws them in there. I, the moment before they're thrown in the fire, how do you think they felt? It's one thing to say, King, we will not do this no matter what. But it's another thing to be looking into those flames, wondering what this next few minutes is going to look like. How do you feel in that moment? One more, I think of Jonah. Jonah's on the boat. The, the, the waves are out of control. He just tells the, the, uh, the other sailors, the people on the ship, hey guys, I'm the reason that this is happening to you. You should just throw me overboard. It's going to be better. And they're like, no, no, we can't do that yet. So they go a little bit further and they say, okay, we can't stop it. So they throw him in the ocean. How do you feel if you're Jonah being thrown overboard? I know that he's rescued by the fish, but you might also ask, how do you feel when you're swallowed by the fish? It's kind of a rough day. But it's in those places, it's in those moments, right before the hopelessness ends, that we find out who we are. We find out what we believe. We find out if we have the courage and the faith, and we find out if this God that we claim is a God that we depend on. And that's where we're going to find Paul again today. So let's get into our our sermon. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 7. And it says this. It says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee side of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, and the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there, This was the harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So one of the things that happens when you know that things are going to be difficult is you just kind of find out what the people around you think. You know, in this particular case, I think it's the experts. The experts are the ship captain, the owner of the ship, and the centurion. They're uh, they're high-ranking officials, so to speak. And so they all make a decision that they're going to go on. I like how Paul just kind of, Paul's a prisoner, by the way. Even with his great learning and, and, and what, uh, what role he had, he's not a high-ranking person on this ship. And yet, he gives, a, he gives them a challenge. Of course, they overrule, and on they go. So I want to tell you, most of the time, when I find myself in difficulty, the first thing I do is I turn to the experts in my life. I turn to the people around me that give me good advice. Uh, at this point, the people on the ship did the same thing, but it didn't help them very much. So here we go, verse 13. <clears throat> When a gentle wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeasters swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm the next day that they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 
when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, listen to this last line, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. In this passage, we can see the actions of desperate men. They're trying to save themselves. They're doing everything they can to make it possible to survive. And I think there's a couple lessons we can learn. So if you find yourself, or maybe when you find yourself headed toward disaster, here's a few tips. <laughs> this is a, we'll, we'll breeze through this kind of quick. The first thing is secure a backup plan. You can tell they were concerned about getting that lifeboat on board. If the ship was going down, what were they gonna do? They needed to make sure the lifeboat was secure and ready for them if they were to need it. So here's the first thing. If you're going through difficult times in your life, you need to think through where are you gonna go if it really goes bad? What's your, what's your door out? What is your backup plan? The next thing is they, uh, I'll say, shore up the timbers. Maybe reinforce your foundations. They pass ropes around the bottom of the boat. You know, those old boats were big timbers that were nailed together and pieced together. But when they were battered, they'd start to loosen up and shake up a little bit. So they'd, they'd pass these ropes underneath it to try to bind up the bottom of the boat. That sounds insane to me. It sounds crazy. That sounds like the, an act of desperation to think that ropes are going to hold when the boards won't. And yet that's what they're doing. Um, and when I say reinforce the foundation, I'd say go back to something that's basic in your life. What is, what is foundational for you? When you're approaching disaster and you can see it coming and you can't stop it, what are the things that you know you're going to turn to? A lot of us, it's our families, it's our friends, it's our parents. It's these people, these relationships that hold us steady when everything around us is being rocked. So make sure that those things are good when you're going through or headed towards something very difficult. The next thing and the last thing we see them do is they, I say, lighten the load. Get really simple. They threw everything overboard that they couldn't use. They threw over all their cargo, which is an abandonment, by the way, of all the money that they were going to make on this, on this, on this uh, voyage, right? The ship captain loses everything. The, the, the owner of the ship loses all of his value. At this point, any profit from this is completely gone. And so now their only thing is survival. All we want to do is make it. And by throwing everything overboard, it lightens the load of the ship. The, the ship comes up a little bit. If they ever run aground, it's going to hit with less impact. And they're going to clear more of it before they hit, right? So they're really trying to figure out how to make themselves lighter. It's a really good thing for us. If you know life is coming and things are going to get bad, get really simple. Focus on the things that really count. Keep your family close. Be close to your, your, your children and your wife and, and your parents. Get really, really simple. Focus on your faith. Get your heart right with God. You know, when you hear people talk about near-death experiences, they always talk about what they're telling God right before the event happens or when the event happened. Those are the kind of things that you do beforehand because when it happens, you don't know what is going to end and where it's going to go. And then if you've gone through all these desperate steps, you're like, hey, I remember, you know, things are getting bad. Pastor Chad gave me these tips, you know. If you remember, you go through all of them and it's still going to happen. Guess what? Then you're going to come to the place where these sailors came. This place where Luke writes, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This is a place I think that all of us come to in our life at some point. And it's a really difficult place to be. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you just wondered, am I going to make it out of here? What happens in your heart? Are you thinking about your uh, 401k? Are you thinking about your five-year plan? No, at that point, you just realize everything else I've done 
comes to this and it either is worth it or not. The big questions maybe run through your mind. Uh, some people have labeled this the, the, the long, dark night of the soul. It's where those big questions that you just don't face very often come, come force themselves into your heart and mind. And you have to realize, I am what I am. And is it enough? It's in this place where, where the safety net is gone, the life preserver is gone, the lifeboat is not there anymore. You're furthest from home that you've ever been. That home being safety and security and, and, and comfort, it's gone. You ask those hard questions. What comes next? What is God, why is God doing this to me? Is he there? I want you just to think for a minute. If you've never been in that place, then maybe think about a story where that has happened. Just ask yourself, where do you think you would be? It's in that space that we learn what we're really made of. We find out if we're people of strength and character. In that moment, we find out if we're gonna face disaster as cowards and turn and hide and run, or whether we're gonna face it with courage. Most people in that moment cave which is why we have books and books and books of the stories of those heroes, those people that do extraordinary things when they're faced with extraordinary moments. And instead of fading and hiding and cowarding like so many would do, they stand up against it and sometimes do something that seems incredible. You know, the, the, the story here doesn't end. It keeps on going and we find there's some hope here. But I wanna tell you, even next week, when you get into next week's sermon, the sailors in this story continue in their desperation. And there's a desperate act next week where they're ready to abandon everyone else and they're going to slip away on the lifeboat and, uh, and it doesn't happen. But there's desperation throughout the story. So listen to how this continues in verse 21. It says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should take my advice. I'm oh, sorry. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I think every group has one of those, by the way. I don't know in your family who it is, but there might be always someone's like, I told you guys, if you just listened to me, this would have been better. Well, Paul is that guy in this story. Verse 22, now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. and He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. By the way, no one likes to tell a know-it-all. If you're, a, if you're one of those know-it-alls, there's a, there's a time to speak and there's a time to kind of keep it in. Uh, Paul didn't keep it in. And so as we think about what he said here, I want to think through maybe what the different people that heard him might have understood. So there's two of Paul's disciples with him. One is the guy that's writing the book, Luke. Another one early in this chapter says that Aristarchus, he's one of the Ephesians from Asia, uh, was, was with them as well. So if you know Paul, and he's been your leader for a long time, your spiritual leader, and he says, hey guys, I want to encourage you. An angel came and talked to me. We're going to make it. How does that make you feel? I think you feel pretty good. You've seen God deliver Paul a number of times. You've maybe even been delivered yourself uh, in, in working with Paul and being around Paul. So maybe that gives you a lot of confidence and strength and courage. But what if you're one of the sailors and you didn't meet Paul before this voyage and you knew nothing of his God? And Paul says, hey guys, it's okay. 
I saw an angel last night. We're all going to be fine. How do you feel if you're one of those guys? Or what if you're one of the, the officers on the, on, the, on the ship? You're the owner or the captain. And Paul says, you should have listened to me. But take courage. You're going to make it. Not the ship, by the way, right? The ship's going to be destroyed. But we're going to be okay. How do you feel? I tell you that coming away from Paul's declarations, only a few people felt better. That's what I want you to hear. Only a few people felt better. Only a few people knew God and had this relationship with God to where the storm that's raging around them faded. They said, okay, God's got our back. We're in good shape. And how would you feel if you were one of them? Uh, how, would you know, how would you feel if at the end of Paul's encouraging message, he says, and by the way, <laughs> we're going to run aground. <laughs> For all the good courage I want you to have, this still is going to end poorly. Well, here are a few things I think we can learn as we, uh, we look at this last part of the story. The first thing is that God rarely rescues us before the crisis. Let me say it again. God rarely rescues us before the crisis. And I don't understand why. I feel like it'd be a lot easier if God would work faster. But he seems to wait until we get to a point of absolute desperation before he moves. It's almost as if he waits until the place that the only way we're going to get out of this is if he steps in. We've gone through everything we can do for ourselves all the way to the point where we've given up. And then God says, okay, let me help. Over and over again in these stories, the, the, the men went through the fire. They're in the fire before God give, helps them. The, the, the Israelites are, are absolutely desperate at the edge of the sea before God provides a miraculous way out. Jonah is, is in, his, in his letter from inside the fish, he says, I, I go all the way. He says, I've dropped to the bottoms of the earth, and yet you knew me. How, how in the, when he's dropped down to the depths of the ocean, to the, the root of the mountains, does God deliver him? It reminds us that we see only with our eyes, but God is constantly moving around us. We, we understand that this whole picture of, of reality that we know and, and actually are so confident in is not all that there is. So many verses run through my mind that make me remember this, that now we see dimly as through like looking in a mirror, but, but then we'll see clearly and we'll see him face to face. This is the kind of, Paul has seen these type of, of, of uh, circumstances happen to him over and over and over again. And yet in them, he's able to stand firm and stand secure and be resolved and be re resolute. Paul has every reason to despair. But he knew his deliverer was with him. That's a big deal. The next thing is we can, we can face ad, uh, adversity with confidence. Paul knew that God was with him, and so he didn't need to be afraid. There's something to that. If you really believe that this God that made you and made everything else, if you know that he's with you, then there's something that keeps you from having to be uh, hopeless and be full of despair when life comes at you. You know that even with the difficulty that you might be facing, that he's in charge of it. He's bigger than it. He's a part of it. And therefore you can suffer knowing that you're not alone. This is like one of the key, the key pieces of the Christian faith. You and Jesus is enough. 
We either believe that or we don't. And honestly, it's going to get tested. It's going to be tested. The last thing I want you to know here is hopelessness and despair does not define the believer. We have so much more. We, we have a God that made us. He loved us. He created us just like we are. He's, he's cared for us. He's delivered us from our sin. And he himself has suffered on our behalf. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. When we read Jesus' prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him walking through this long, dark night of the soul where he's having to examine himself and say, am I able, Lord, take this from me if it would be your will, but if it's your will, let your will be done. This Jesus that we serve has already walked through it. He knows what it is that we face. If everything else that we are can be stripped away when there's nothing left at its very basic, is Jesus enough? I know that the sermon is a really good one to listen to and really a bad one to live through. Nobody wants to live through the hardship like Paul lived through here or any of the other stories that we've shared. But in some ways, all of us are living through this story. You know, a year ago when the pandemic flooded into our life, there was very little that we could do to stop it, to change it, to adjust it. Many of us were unprepared for it. Many of us had never considered wearing a mask when we go to the grocery store. Many of us had never considered having to not go to church for months to try to figure out if there was enough distance between us to protect each other. We, we weren't necessarily prepared. In that pandemic, so much has been lost. You know that. The, the numbers are staggering. Over half a million families have lost loved ones here in the United States. Half a million. 534,000 deaths in the United States. That's a lot of families impacted. It's 2.65 million globally. Everyone knows someone that was hurting and maybe even passed away in the last year because of the the pandemic. But that's not it. It also costs lots of jobs. Many people lost their work. Because of that, there's more stress in families than there have been in a long time. The, The rates, divorce rates are up. Suicide rates across all demographics are up. People have experienced hopelessness and despair in the last year, probably in different ways than they have in, in, in many, many, many decades. And maybe it's been you. Maybe you came through this hard time and you understand that God is faithful and he has been faithful to you and he's given you the strength that you need even when you go through the hardship. And if you're in that place and you're on the other side of this difficulty and God has proven himself faithful in you, praise God because you've learned something that many people will never learn. You also can have this confidence and strength because of your experience, not just because someone says it. But for those of us on this side that maybe haven't suffered yet or haven't suffered in this way, Our testing is still to come, maybe. Maybe these days are in front of us still. As we close, I want to just give you two, two perspectives. There's, there's two people. I think there's the, the believer that has already walked through hardship, and they've already seen God prove himself in so many ways. And they can stand confident before us and say, he is my God, and no matter what, I'm going to put my faith in him. Maybe they already know it again because of their experience. It's not just a declaration. It's something that they've already demonstrated in their their actions. 
And then there's those of us who are trying to figure out what would happen. Lord, far be it from us to want this, but what happens when we get tested like this? How are we going to make it? And I hope that something I've said today will stick with you. I hope that it encourages you that you have the ability to have confidence in him and strengthen him because he promises never to leave us or forsake us. It's one of the most basic promises of Jesus is that he is with us until the very end of the age. And if Jesus is with you, he is enough. I've said that several times. Today, if you don't know this Jesus, if you don't know how you're going to respond when things get hard, then today I encourage you to surrender yourself to him. If it's the first time, that's great. There's never been a better time. If you've done it before and you feel like you're so far from him today and you're just not sure, surrender again. It never is too late to surrender to God. It's always a good discipline to surrender to God. And so today, no matter if you're in despair or if you're in confidence, if you're in, in, uh, in victory right now, praise God. But this is a moment where you can say, God, I want you to be my everything, my all. Over the last month, so much has been lost. And yet we can know that the God that made us is with us. He's the God of my heart. He's the God of my family and the God of our church. He's the God over our country and our nation and our world. You know what? He's over the pandemic. He stands over it. He commands it. And so the simple question is where are you today? Are you close to this God who's given you access to all hope and courage and strength? Have you turned to him in your despair? If you haven't, we want to talk to you today. We have pastors here. Pastor Julio's here. Pastor Paulo's here. There are many believers here that maybe they're your friends and family that would love to just talk to you and pray for you and pray with you, listen to you. Don't be a stranger. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you so much for the stories, the stories of faithfulness, faithfulness that seems impossible, faithfulness that, that encourages us to stand even when we don't know what to stand on. God, stories that encourage us to know that even in the midst of what we might feel as hopelessness and despair, where we have no out, God, you're with us. We're not alone. And if you're with us, God, it's enough. It's enough. You're enough. Lord, take us. Take what little we can give. Take everything that we are. God, use it for your kingdom and for your glory. Draw us to you so that in moments where we're weak, we can lean on you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.